0: Before I conclude the organized crime part, more flashbacks popped in my head. So, in the world of organized crime, people that were gay, trans, two-spirit, queer, um, lesbians, um... androgynous or metrosexuals or even hermaphrodites or intersex people some of them were beaten down and shot dead by figures in organized crime these were phobic hate crimes against the LGBTQ plus community that occurred in organized crime I saw members of the LGBTQI Plus community being lynched and hung from trees, hung from poles. I saw members of the LGBTQI Plus community commit suicide in front of me, whether it was hanging themselves or stabbing themselves or setting themselves on fire or shooting themselves to death. Um I saw members of the disability community and people's special needs um, being lynched, hung from poles, hung from trees by members of the organized crime. There were phobic hate crimes against members of the disability community and those special needs. Um, I saw members of the disability community and special needs being uh, shot dead and uh, beaten down by organized crime figures. Um, I even saw people, especially these people in the, in the, in the disability community, the uh, people with disabilities, um, committing suicide in front of me, whether it was hanging themselves or stabbing themselves or setting themselves on fire, shooting themselves to death. Hello, everyone. I wanted to do this very special episode because I wanted to say that um, I thought more about the episodes I've been doing lately. And so, there's a little bit more I want to say. Um, we have to protect even our essential workers because there was a guy named Kenneth J. Marshall. In the 90s, he was convicted of killing three McDonald's co-workers in uh Washington, D.C. area. And... Um, I remember hearing about this place called um, Sherry's. I think it's the Atlantic Skating Rink on southwest side. And um, it was a very popular skating rink not too far from South Capitol Street in D.C. And that's where Shorty Pop used to um, hang out. Um, that's where he would dance and socialize. He was a member of the junkyard band. And um a lot of these skating rings, especially in the eighties, was was quite dangerous because people would get you know for the most part it was fun, but some of the bad element would try to jump people there. And I remember watching something talking about Shorty Pop. It was a guy who had an encounter with him. I think his name is C-Dub from Park Chester in Washington, D.C. And he was talking about how in the in the 80s when Shorty Pop was at Anacostia how he would He and his crew of young people would try to point people out to jump them, and after a while they had to stop because you can't be jump trying to jump people every Friday like he and his crew used to do. And when I thought when I heard that story, I remembered times in the organized crime world where. I saw people trying to provoke people and trying and pointing people out to jump them, you know, following them, taunting them, insulting them, surrounding them, closing off exits and jumping people. I saw that all the time in organized crime and. In the organized crime world, I was in with the D.C. street gangs. There were teen killers preteen killers, child killers. They weren't even preteens. They were younger and just killing people. Um, I knew of, well, they were around me, of course. That's why I say I knew of, uh, teen, not teens, but I knew of teenagers and Pre teenagers and younger than pre teenagers who were also sticking people up, robbing people, snatching people's jewelry, and snatching people's goods. You know, goods means what they got on, what they have on, what they're wearing, or what they have on them. You know, it could be pocketbooks, it could be purses, it could be chains. It could be debit cards, credit cards, it could be cash, it could be IDs, it could be social security cards, those type of things. That's what I mean when I say goods. And um, I really, really learned how dangerous... And deadly those things are. You know, I do remember um, being in that world of organized crime. I knew teenagers who were millionaires, pre-teenagers who were millionaires, kids younger than pre-teenagers, they are already millionaires. So I knew teenagers, pre-teenagers, Pre teenagers and kids younger than pre teenagers who are already driving luxurious cars, for example, um, already wearing luxurious clothing and already. already live in large. Some of them even had their own homes. I don't know how that happened, but in organized crime, you can obtain homes even through illegal means. Even if that means finding ways to disregard age requirements to live on your own, it could be also Obtaining illegal means and disregarding age requirements regarding vehicles, too, and money—it was just viciously decimating for me to to witness such things. And then I remember. being in that organized crime world. And what I saw was how people responded to me. I had to take a breather because it hurt so much. Um, I'm actually talking off the top of my head. I don't feel like reading anything. Because it's much smoother when I talk off the top of my head when it comes to subjects like this. How people responded to me was... Every time the criminals would defend me as I shared in other episodes, you know how they would defend me. They it caused my quote unquote street credibility to to rocket launch, like skyrocket way where I'll give you this new information. It made a lot of people think that I was a crime boss. It And I'm talking about people in organized crime, not civilians. It made people in organized crime think that I was a crime boss, a a head of a crime family. They thought I was a kingpin. They thought that I was a gang leader. And they thought I was a, a... Hit a Mexican drug cartel head, meaning in charge of one, and they thought I was a mafia leader based upon how criminals were so quote unquote loyal to me and the fact that. As a child in organized crime, I was considered fearsome, burdensome, worrisome, bothersome, and troublesome to many organized crime syndicates in the DMV area. Because... I'm not claim I'm I I, I, hate, I even hate the concept of street credibility in the words. I just like I hate street legends term, I hate street veterans term, I hate OG term relating to crime, I hate the term organized crime, it's all disorganized. I just um I just hate any vernacular that glorifies evil. Um And so, when you're, as a child, they weren't used to a five-year-old who, in their mind, when people would talk about me, organized crime, they would automatically assume that I was at least six, five, Two eighty, but when they would see me, they would go. At first, they'd be like, "Y'all scared of that? That you scared of, little dude?" And they would, I would over them say, "I don't think you should be saying out loud, man, because you know, there's a lot of." a lot of folk out here who, that's they mans. And let's just say, Tonio got the power to, whatever he want done, the streets will make sure he wants it done. And that's when they start getting scared. Like, wait a minute, are you saying that that little dude Let's say he wanted somebody killed. You mean to tell me the there that would do that for him? Yep. What if he wanted to get paid for it? Yep. And what if it's free? Yep, either way. Then they'll say, so the same thing with, you know, robbery and same things with violence and the same things like just anything. He could... If he wanted somebody's money and he wanted to be a part of the lottery, yep. And they said that because that was part of the conversation I heard, but the criminals were saying to them Well, associate criminals were like, yeah man, Antonio." Tony was, like, the best numbers runner in DMV. He's the best drug dealer in DMV. And, you know, motherfuckers have killed for him. And, you know, robbed for him and stole for him and B-plug for him. And that's when they started asking those questions about, so if he wants this, you can, yeah. And so what y'all saying is, is that... Now, I'm going to read something. Um, So, yeah, I was provoking fear, terror, fright in people in organized crime. They felt the unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Let me give you new details. So a lot of people thought I was this six five two hundred eighty pound dude. They thought, okay, he must or he could be, you know, he 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 you know, he got he, he may be he may look like Will Chamberlain when they would see me. Some of the times people would laugh like y'all, y'all niggas and y'all bitches, bitches are afraid of this little ass motherfucker. And then when they would see my expression, because now I'm feeling this, suddenly they got scared because it's like, oh shit, damn, what y'all say about Antonio real? Because by that time, I, I could give, I could give a look, right? And I would look at that, I would give that look of terror, that look of fear horror that look of terror they straightened up and flew right in the moment so it was understood don't piss off Antonio man don't think just because you know he a kid that that don't mean he can't do no damage right and there were times where I was underestimated people, we we'll hear about my reputation like man. You bet, you really got to respect the ladies around Tonio, man, cuz if you don't, man, you might end up in the hospital or end up dead. Cuz man, I be hearing stuff about Tonio. That was my most common street name as I mentioned in other episodes, like and like I mentioned in other episodes, I was known as AO in Baltimore. And I was known as Notorious A.R.M. In both D.C. and Baltimore. Some, a little bit of Baltimoreans called me Tonio. Because they, you know, D.C. people, Baltimore people. When they would get together in like organized crime, they would talk about me. That's how they knew. And I remember being in the hood a lot. And the hood loved me. I spent most of my time in the hood when I was forced to do organized crime activities and gang activities. Um, the hood saw me as an honorary resident and the hood moms and the hood women, the hood aunties, just all the women in the hood. They were the most in, in all of me. Um, most of them did not rape me. Most of them did not beat me. Most of them did not... Contribute to the whole... My being organized crime and doing gang... Banging. At all. I must admit there was very... Very little of them... Actually did rape me. and Yeah. Very little. Um... I think, also, a very, very little people, very little of them, did beat me, but they understood that when I keep, when I kept like running away, or telling them I'm not gonna let you, you keep swinging on me, they stopped. Um, but they did beat me originally. And with the rapes, I just, I kept pushing them off me. So eventually they stopped. Very little of the women in the hood did these things to me. Very little. Um, I remember that at least one of the rapists and one of the beaters of me got um, found out or caught. And they ended up dead in the lying in the middle of the sidewalk because so and so so they came up to me. Well, so and so um was watching from her window or peep or a peephole and saw what they were trying to do to you, and um. That's how you were able to just get, you know, that's why that person came in and, you know, had you stay in their home while they went out and handled business. It was like, I remember being the only person in the home. It was like, it was a single mom, actually, I remember. It was a single mom. And she was like, stay in my, just stay in my home. I'll be right back. And that's how the, and I, and I remember hearing a loud boom and I wasn't sure if it was a gun or fireworks because usually I could tell when a gunshot was a gunshot because of organized crime, or I could tell if it was fireworks. And so sometimes I remember people just, even if it wasn't July 4th, in organized crime, they would still do fireworks Sometimes criminal hangout spots, they just like doing fireworks, popping on fireworks. And that was... a Quite a weird time. A weird-ass time for me, I must admit. And... And then it was later found out that that single mom did the killing. Um, no, she was a civilian. She didn't do crime, but she saw it and made her angry. So she took it matters to her own hands and went to the rapist's home, killed her, and then went to the one... To very look to one of the women was hurting me, be, you know, physically, like beating, killed him. So I heard two booms, just like it was a gun. I didn't see her with any weapons. She may have hit it. I just didn't see it in her home. I didn't see it in her hand. And, and it found out, oh, she kept it in her car. <laughs> and I was like, wow, she went, because uh, the story went, she got the gun from her car because it wasn't a safe neighborhood um, that we were in. A lot of the the hoods, when I say the hood, a lot of the hood, because the hood is in many different cities and different parts of the world and they tend to be dangerous neighborhoods, so it was so bad civilians felt like they had to be armed and with the in when it came to their vehicles. And this single mom, who really, really liked me, saw what saw me being raped and and saw the other women uh you know it was two women in one home, right? It was two women in one home. One would beat me, the other would rape me, right? That's why I said very little. And two bullets were fired. I remember hearing screams, but I only heard it when the shots went. up like, ah! And those two women ended up dead. That's why I said very little of women in the hood actually raped me because most of them were civilians who were in dangerous neighborhoods, but they were good people. But then you had that that minute amount of people in the hood who were just as dangerous as the ones who caused me the danger. And so the single mom's were able to um, turn their gun off. It was still, they were able to put more bullets in it, but they turned their gun off, put it back in the glove department, and it came in the house. And I, I, I said, what happened? And the single mom said, that's never going to happen to you again. And... Once I left to go back to my mom's apartment, it was that's when I remember there were times in the hood, criminals would actually drive me back to my mother's apartment and they told the story of, you know, she walked to her car, got her gat, shot the two bullets, killed those women. They both ended up on the sidewalk. And that's when she came back to you in her home. And I remember some of the hood women did not like criminals driving me back. So they would tell the criminals, Mm-mm, we'll take him home. Because they found out, wait a minute. This, this, wait a minute. A killer was driving my, my baby home. This Mer you know, this robber or, you know, this thief, this burglar, this hoodlum, this drunk, this person who does drugs all the time, and this contract hitman was driving Antonio home, they found out about it, because they were trying to figure out, how does he get home, oh, so-and-so did it. Oh, hell no. They be doing this shit. They do that shit. So, criminals stopped driving me back home. And they stopped picking me up because the hood women just weren't having it. Like, oh, hell no. So-and-so nasty with the kid driving him home. No. Yeah. That's what happened. And a couple of times, I was molested while... Because some of the criminals were women. So, there, I remember very little was I molested in the car. Or they hit me in the car. And then stopped. And then drove me home. It was weird. weird. Um, well, more than weird. It's, it's unspeakable, unfathomable, of course. So, okay, I understand. Um, and then... Um, and then just um the hood one would just drive me home, and they would also pick me up and they and they weren't bad at all, um. Before I finish that story, a couple of people who... Some of these criminals were armed in the car. I remember that. They were very armed. And, um... Some of them did do drugs in the car and then drove me home. They would drive fast and erratically. But I was able to get home. And there were times where I told them, Okay, guys, slow down a little bit, man. You know... The, the speed camera, you know, and these toll roads. Um, people, you know what? People know you on drugs, man. Da, da, da. And they would, they listen to me. Not right away, but they listened to me. Some listened to me the very first time. And it was their addiction. I mean, I'm glad I'm still breathing because, they were driving that crazy, almost bumping into people. Sometimes I had to take the wit help them drive the car. Like, no, don't bump into people. Drive it, don't hit nobody. And they, <laughs> they listened. And I was just fortunate they did. They didn't, man. I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't need to say the rest. You already know. But I think about how, um... And that was a weird part of my life. The hood women would just drive me back, drive me home, and you know they would talk to me, make sure they played kid-friendly music, that type of thing. The, they they did they they asked me. So when these criminals were driving me home, da, 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 oh they would play uh, this type of music. What? That's not for children. What? The lyrics weren't clean. Oh hell no. I remember the hood women. Made life a living hell for the criminals. Are like, oh, I'm finding out more of how they hurt you. Da, da 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 da. So, let's just say the hood women gave the criminals a piece of their mind, verbally, even physically, just going to tell what the fuck did and fighting them. So the criminals had to make amends with me and apologize. To me, the hood women were just in their mind. These hood women would drive me crazy. That's what the criminals said about, you know, that's how the criminals felt. They said it without saying it, you know what I mean? Just by the whole, man, they said this, and man, I'm sorry. Ah, you know. That was the world of organized crime I grew up in. And the hood women didn't like what they heard about me. And I explained, you know, I'm not trying to do bad stuff. I just, you know, people try me and I'm a nice person. And so they were able to correct how the street the streets were like saying all this vicious stuff about me. And then the hood women said, No, y'all not being told the truth. Y'all trying to try a little boy. And y'all make a little boy feel like I defend himself. So, hood women were one of the reasons why I was able to leave the world of drugs and organized crime because they were able to convince certain criminals to send a message to all the other criminals that. And to you know, y'all need to get Antonio out of the drug game, out of the, um, that's what they said, um, I hate the term drug game, um, and I hate the term drug industry, too, I've heard that, I'm like, ugh, and drug business, like, ugh, it's revolting and nausea at the same time, and then these hooked when were able to say, all right, we gotta get him out of all crime, so... And you probably wonder why they didn't call the police because in those neighborhoods when you feel like they were so used to police brutality, they didn't even trust the police. They were so used to feeling failed by the intelligence community and federal law enforcement. They tended to take matters into their own hands. So were there, you know... So they felt like their families under attack. They would get their registered guns. Some got their unregistered guns and kill people. Who they felt like you're attacking our family and necessarily trying to do breaking and enterings. So that's what that's what happened. They were all institutionalized. And I'm sad to have to even tell this story. But in that world of organized crime, the hood women were the ones saying, okay, we're going to get him out of all crime. And that's when they told the criminals, hey, this is what they're having Antonio do. And that's when the criminals kicked me out of the Italian mafia, the D.C. street gangs, the D.C. biker gangs, the D.C. prison gangs, the narco, the narcos, the um, Mexican drug cartels, the bloods of D.C., the crypts of D.C., and all the street crews of DC. It was all because of the hood women. The hood women told them. So it was women who kept me out of crime. The hood women told the dudes who had power in organized crime hey, keep, you know, keeping, you know, keep them out all y'all bullshit. And the criminals listened. And that's when they told the other criminals, hey, if y'all try to keep Antonio in crime another second, we're going to put out contracts on all y'all lives and wipe y'all all out. Wipe all you motherfuckers out. That's the story I was told by the hood women. But they didn't say the motherfucker word. They just said M-apps. But I knew what they were talking about. They usually tried their best to keep it clean with me. It they they You know, they weren't perfect at it. They let it fly, but it was unintentional. But for the most part, they kept it clean with me when they told stories. And they tried to tell me stories where... They were age-appropriate and kid-friendly. Sometimes adults say things around kids where it's just adult-friendly but kid-unfriendly. And they would quickly apologize and backtrack and go, I'm sorry. And they would keep it kid-friendly. They tried to be family-friendly with me. They weren't perfect at it, of course. Sometimes the stories they told are family-unfriendly. But I think about how... um, I just think about how wild that part of my life was. And I would see the women. they would hang out with me from time to time. Take me out to eat. Um, Take me shopping, bowling. um, Take me to sports games from time to time. Um... You know, if they're at the beauty salon, they would take me, and the beauty salon would just enjoy me. And, you know, they took me to the barbershop. And, um, not to necessarily get my hair cut, but... Well, actually, a, a few times they did. They did take me to the barber shop. They're like, we want to help him get his hair cut. So they would sometimes, you know, make sure that I got a temple. You know, a temp fade. They paid for it. I remember that a few times. And they would wash my hair. You know. Put shampoo, make it look nice and neat. And because I kept my hair low... It wasn't no always noticeable that I got a new haircut because I kept getting them. I remember that. I remember that for sure. Um Yeah, Pete at the Barbershop Beauty Salon thought I was like the coolest the coolest person ever. You know, praising me highly. Um I remember they would take me on picnics. Um I remember they would take me to go skating with them and they would hold me while we would skate together. I remember that, going on skating rinks with them. I'm telling you all the stuff that I couldn't put it all in the books, so you're hearing it all now. So in closing, I say this about organized crime. Organized crime causes terror, fright, fearfulness, horror, alarm, panic, agitation, trepidation, dread, consternation, dismay, distress, anxiety, worry, angst, unease, uneasiness, apprehension, apprehensiveness nervousness nerves timidity disquiet disquietude discomposure unrest perturbation foreboding misgivings doubt suspicions the creeps the wheat the willies the heebie-jeebies the shakes the collie wobbles the jitteriness the twitchiness butterflies in the stomach funk blue funk the screaming ad- abdabs, the Joe Blakes, the worriment, inquietude, phobias, aversion, antipathy, bugbears, boggy, book, um, nightmare, neurosis, psychosis, complexes, manias, abnormal fears, irrational fears, obsessive fears, hang hangups, because there is no calmness and no true confidence in organized crime and everyone's afraid of each other and fearful of each other be afraid of someone or something is likely to be dangerous painful or threatening and those are all my tales on organized crime fully understand the reasons why no one in organized crime knew about my autism and why nobody in organized crime knew about my gender identities and my sexual orientations. Um, Anyone that was considered effeminate um, as males and anyone that was considered of the archaic, the archaic term, mental retardation, anybody was considered that um, they were bullied, insulted, taunted, made to kill themselves, or they would get beat down and be gunned down too. That's what I saw in organized crime. Um. As for the women, the hood women, in their homes, they let them play video games, car games, watch TV, eat their food, laugh, chill, take a nap. You know, the typical things that people do in their homes that are, you know, age-appropriate, harmless, um, even though it was considered harmless, it was harmful because these were total strangers um, that did not do a good job of fully protecting me like they should have. There is also racism in the world of organized crime you had white organized crime figures, some, a handful, very few actually, lynched, maimed, re- raped, and beat uh, black indigenous people of color. And then I saw uh, racism on the others um, in terms of some black indigenous people of color organized crime figures, lynch, rape, raping, maiming, and beating, white folks too. Now I understand why I am sensitized to black indigenous people of color, meaning myself. And other things about the organized crime world that I want to report about, and it's deeply serious, is... um, There was... uh, mm, I remember sometimes walking the streets of D.C., with my hoodie on with my coat on gun sticking out of my pocket of my pants and the pocket of my coats it depends i didn't normally i would hide my gun and and zip it shut within my coat pocket when i was walking downtown if i was wearing other clothes i would sometimes wear my backpack with the gun in the backpack. Um, so in like the hoity-toity affluent middle class or um, the nice parts of D.C., I, I completely hid my gun and I moved in a way where you wouldn't hear it or it didn't go off and nobody got close to me. But in the dangerous parts of D.C., I would walk out the streets with my gun sticking out of my pants pocket, my coat pocket and uh, sometimes walking around with the gun in my hand and I did that when it came to like the, the where the criminals would hang out at around hood women and just decent hood people most people in the hood are decent I just want to clarify that but I didn't really I didn't I hid it from them. They found out, though. I think in the story, one woman told me that she didn't like my gun being out. Right? So, what I didn't share in this story that I put in my book was that there were hood women who were able to convince that particular woman to say, hey, we're not comfortable with Antonio being armed. So, um, you know... Talk to him, and then those same hood women actually talked to me, and it was myself, that woman, and hood women. Are like, "Uh, you know, this is gonna be our way of getting Antonio out of crime, the crime world. So I do remember that. I do remember it was a group of them, and they said, "All right, we can't. We this is." First we're going to have Antonio stop stop walking around armed. Once we get that done, we're going to completely kick him out of crime with the help of these other criminals. That's what happened. So I stopped walking around armed because of it and plus, I remember the hood women, that other woman I told you about who told me, you know, no more being armed. Um they were all crying. Hugging me. Um, and from time to time, I would still spend time with them. Throughout my whole stay in Northwest DC, um, I never walked the streets alone after that. Um, because these hood women, just women civilians, were finding out oh, he, he tends to walk around wondering by himself, and you know, no one's attending to him. And so they would pick me up. They're like, you know what? Okay, no more being harmed. We got that done. No more uh, being in the crime world. We really got that done. And number three, no more walking the streets or going places by himself. We truly got that done. That's what they said. So whenever I went places throughout the rest of my stay at Doll Street, they would just say, We'll pick you up. We'll drop you off. <laughs> don't, don't, you, you, you're not, you can't do those three things we agreed to by yourself anymore. And so whenever they want to hang out with me and go to like, you know, legal social places, it could be a carnival. It could be a music park. It could be just those things that... You know, the fun stuff that people do that's family-friendly, you know, family-friendly events, that's where they took me. And, um yeah, that's how I got out of that crime world. It was, it started with hood women, and then some women civilians in the hood, in the, in the suburbs, and in the inner city, and in the downtown parts of D.C., in the middle class, the affluent parts, the upper class parts. And the low income and even the dangerous parts, words started getting out what does having me do, you know, in terms of the criminals and everything. And um, I would get reports from some women that certain criminals would end up dead. The civilians killed them. They were so angry that a child was put into crime, they were so angry that a child was walking around by themselves, doing going places by themselves, and they were so angry that a child was walking around armed that they were able to find, they tried to find all the criminals, and so-and-so would give them tips, okay, they over there, or they over here, or they, this is their address, or this is where they they go to this regular world of workplace and um, and pretend you know to you know to pretend that they're not criminals what they really are or they use this real address this fake address for the criminal hangout or here's where they hang out most Just, and you had these civilians going around killing them Just killing them the word got out they were so pissed. And, yeah. They, and they, I mean, like, not wanting them to be in the hospital, like, wanting to end up dead, and a lot of them end up dead, and the rest, it was like, okay, we may not be able to kill you, but we're gonna have you prosecuted. Because they found out that the associates of the criminals, um... You know, they found out that through the associates of the criminals what their dirt was. They're like, man, we may not have the evidence to show that they had Antonio do these things, but we can get them behind bars on other things as our way of making sure they they don't ever come out of prison. And they were all successful. A lot of the criminals that I knew, knew of, even the criminals that, you know would quickly interact with me and leave because it's understood if you were a criminal and hanging around Antonio, um you gonna get killed by the criminals who were like helping the women get keep me out of crime. Yeah, I talk about that in this in my book. So in the book I mentioned how um I think about how um, that was the world I lived. That was that world I lived in. And then they found out that so and so, um, like women, you know, they found they women found out because there were women who were monitoring, like these criminals still walking with me, making sure I'm safe. You know, the criminals that got me out of crime and. That story I talk about in the book, come to find out some women were watching those things. They were watching them with me. This was, um, trying to make it in order. It's very difficult. So I would walk around with these criminals, right? These were the same criminals who got me out of crime. They were making sure that for quite some time, um, that they were gonna walk around with me until it was safe enough not to walk around with me. You know, where I could go, where I could still travel. So I didn't stop walking the streets right away. I would say that the same day that women came to me and said, we're finding out that this is still happening. You know, you're walking around, we're not gonna have you walk around anymore. It's very confusing. I'm trying my best to make it so they got me out of crime first. So when I was walking with these criminals, there was no no more life of crime for me, okay? When I was walking with these, these are the particular criminals, that got me out of crime. So when I was walking with them, I wasn't involved in any crimes. And I wasn't armed. But the whole walking around, I was still doing that. I wasn't going to the seedy places and the dangerous places anymore. And I was but I was still walking around and women said, Oh, that we gotta put the third thing in there. That's when they said, Okay, he can't walk around himself anymore because they were still spying on these criminals. They were spy on me in a way to say, Okay, who's talking to Antonio? So they found out that There were criminals who would walk around me to make sure I was safe. Um, Because they felt like, well, we don't know who's mad that Antonio is not in crime anymore. We don't know who's trying to get at him. So that's how they were able to still walk with me. But the women saw that. And I noticed that those guys stopped walking around me after that. And I never knew why until... I heard from the women, I heard from people who were cool with the women, um, you know, like associates, like, yeah, yeah, um, you know, the ladies killed those dudes, that's why you're not around them anymore, they were mad that, you know, even though they ha- they were happy that those criminals got, you know, those criminals helped you get out of crime, you know, They weren't supposed to still be walking around with you because the women told those guys, get him out of crime, but leave his life after that. Leave him alone after that. Stay away from Antonio after that. You did your part now, get out. They didn't obey that in their mind. But you know, we still gotta walk around Antonio just in case if niggas, motherfuckers, bitches try to get at him. And the women were so mad, in their mind, if you're still walking around with Antonio, you could be trying to get him back into crime so those women killed those guys. It was several criminals who would hang out with me, like, just walk in places, making sure I'm safe, making sure I got home, walk with me home, walk me to just places. I was still roaming around, but these are all safe places I was in now safe places, safe environments, but being around criminals is still dangerous, so the women would spy and kill those guys. It was two sets of guys, maybe three. It's actually three. This happened about three times, and I'm not giggling. It's It's horrendous, so these criminals... It happened, like, three days in a row. I was... I hanged with one guy and disappeared. The second day, hung out... I hang out with several guys who were criminals. Walking with them, disappeared. And then it disappeared. It's <laughs> disappeared three times. Maybe it happened a little bit more than three times. I'm trying to make sure it's consistent with what I wrote in the book. Because flashbacks, they just hit me. So it's like, it happened for quite some time. And the women said, you know what? Why are we... Constantly going after these guys when all you gotta do is make sure that we drop Antonio off and pick him up and be around him. We don't do dirt, so we can, you know, be around Antonio, all right? So, I think it happened more than three times. Suck because it's be consistent the book I say again. So, plus the women's like, man, I can't keep killing people, man. Because, you know, they could get me on my dirt. And so the women felt like they weren't doing dirt. But by killing the criminals does make them, you know, criminals. So I didn't say trauma doesn't make sense, okay? Crime doesn't make sense either. So these are the things that happened. They were so angry. They just killed them. (laughs) So pissed. And... That's why the rest of my time in my apartment, if I was out of my mother's presence or my you know, dad's presence and um, I wasn't around them, I was with women. In fact, they didn't like guys being around me much. Or if they were, they, they had to be really solid good dudes. No criminal history. They're like, uh-uh, if you buy criminal history, you can't hang with Antonio. But they killed people. That's not a... They have a undocumented criminal history. I didn't say crime wasn't strange. I didn't say trauma wasn't strange either. They're all strange. Um. So that was the full story of what happened. You know, of the organized crime world that I was in. And I'm not glorifying any of this. This is really my last story on these last set of stories on these things because, again, I'm making sure I have nothing else to report. Um, It just happened to me, you know. But I can honestly say that despite all the organized crime that happened to me, I know that it never tarnished my bubbly personality, never tarnished my ambivert slash omnivert personality, and never tarnished my boundless optimism. That's all the full stories. Now, Now, let's talk about these couple of memories have what my dad said, this shows you how bad organized crime can be. I remember, um, my dad was playing basketball. Some suspicious guys and suspicious vehicles showed up. My dad didn't know it was Rayful Edmond and his um, his crew. So, they played ball and my dad didn't know that that was Rayful. His friend was like, and it's Rayful, man. Ray, and that's Ray, and then, that's Rayful, Rayfus, Rayfus. And he was like, Who's that? And then he said, Oh, his name is Rayful. Rayful was the most notorious drug lord in Washington, D.C. So my dad didn't know he was playing basketball with him and the drug crew. And so they um, lost the game quickly. Um even though they made some shots my dad did too in a basketball game um jump shots so people understand what i'm talking about um they left and then played with those guys again left quick like all right we gotta get up out of here and because you know and then one time my dad told me that he um saw alonzo alonzo morning in the um mcdonald's where he be at southwest they just saw each other, and that was about it. It was just like an acknowledgement. Hey, what's up? What's up? Kept moving. Lonzo well, Mourning was the star of the Georgetown Hoyas after Patrick Ewing left. Patrick Ewing was the star of Georgetown Hoyas before until Mourning came along. They both ended up being NBA superstars. And, um... Uh, and then, as for the Wayne Perry story, I'm gonna fully tell the story. It involves... And one of my uncles. I told the story before, let me fully tell it. So, basically, my uncle, one of my dad's brothers, was he could dunk, jump out the gym, run people out the gym, had a silky smooth jump shot. He was basically LeBron James-ish in his neighborhood in Southwest D.C. And um, You know, he, from what I remember, he was just playing excellent basketball in the neighborhood. It was one of those, you know, the neighborhood was watching and he was just basically cooking Wayne Perry and his team. Just cooking those guys. Cooking in basketball means, you know, excellent passes against the team, excellent jump shots against the team. Dunking on people, hitting jump shots, hitting fadeaway jump shots, hitting um, three-point shots, boxing, rebounding, blocking shots, doing everything that an excellent basketball player is supposed to do, just in the, you know, setting up picks and making, you know, dazzling playmaking abilities, all that you see in playground basketball, Michael Kenny could I'm sorry, my uncle um, was able to do that. My my uncle was able to do that. And um, it was interesting how um, I feel like it just had to be said what i just said because i just i don't like keeping these stories in my head because it's so traumatizing it's like no we gotta say this stuff it's swept under the rug and i'm like no these are, these stories are important because it shows how dangerous organized crime was so hey slip of the tongue it happened but i'm still keeping recording it's so important so, I remember with this story, um, basically, my uncle was just cooking the team, and all of a sudden, Wayne Perry started to try to get physical with my uncle. you know, touching on him, hitting on him, and my uncle was letting him know, you only got so many times but to do this, but of course, he said it profanely, plus it's the basketball court, you, they don't say they don't set. They don't state their boundaries politely. They say it rather profanely and harshly, only when you provoke somebody um, unnecessarily. So that's what happened. Provoking somebody unnecessarily, and um, <sighs> when Perry got even more physical. And my uncle got tired of telling him about himself, about if you keep doing this, you know what's gonna happen. Said it profanely. Harshly. Wayne Perry didn't listen. And my uncle 2 pieced him. Knocked his ass out. Knocked the shit out of him, right? Just sucker punched him twice. Boom, right? Then he figured out, oh my god, I just knocked out the biggest D.C. killer of all time. Climbed the fence. He ran away. <laughs> the neighborhood was happy that he knocked out Wayne Berry. Really happy about it, because cause when you're a killer, a lot of people ain't gonna like you. That's just the truth. Uh, most people are not going to have favorable feelings towards you. Um... And so what happened was this story. Um, So so my uncle climbed the fence, ran back home. And Wayne Perry was banging on the door, cussing him out. And I'll never forget, he said, I'm going to kill everybody up in this motherfucker, right? That's what happened. And of course, he was just screaming unintelligible words, just using profane language, threateningly speaking. And my dad was upstairs trying to call the police. And my grandma was in the house, so I really have an issue with Wayne Perry because my grandma helped raise him. Yeah, my grandma knew Wayne when he was a little boy, helped take care of him, that, you know, my grandma and the Perry family were called cool each other. The only problem in the Perry family was Wayne, but, you know, my grandma was doing a lot of, like, um, daycare, taking care of little kids' work. It was the village, so everybody took care of everybody's children back then. You know, she helped guide him and just like the village, everybody helped guide each other's kids. Did he do right by what she and other people were teaching him? No, because he now has this awful nickname, the Michael Jordan, the murder game. That's insulting to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan is absolutely not a criminal. So I don't think Michael Jordan likes that very much. I wouldn't either. I don't either. And I'm not an NBA superstar like he is. Um, but my grandma, in the story, get back to the story, my grandma, um, opened the door, which frightened me. I'm like, if I, I, I was like, wait a minute how's my how's my grandma still breathing you opening the door you got a killer outside your front door if you open the door usually the killer could be armed his killers are usually armed um i didn't this i wasn't told that he was armed um if he was they didn't say But, meaning my family. So what I was told was... um, He, my grandma told them... Okay, okay, he was armed. And my grandma told him to put the gun down. Y'all gonna settle this like men. That means physically fight, fight each other out and leave each other alone. Or y'all can be cool with each other, but not close. It's like, all right, we're not close, but we're not beefing either. So, as the story goes, my uncle, who has martial arts history, he um, whooped Dwayne Perry's ass some more. But... I was told by somebody in the family that Wayne Perry did put a gun to his head and threatened him, And he had to stay with one of my aunts for quite some time while he was attending an HBC. I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. That's the stories I have of that world. Um, you know, stories of like even playing basketball in the drug infested neighborhood that South of DC was it was dangerous because sometimes drug dealers took it personally if you dunked on them or hit a layup on them or, or you just did something on the basketball court that you just playing good basketball against them and now they want to run behind you with their fists cocked But you have to have, you know, running towards you full speed. And sometimes, unexpectedly, the person trying to aim their fist at you, they would get knocked out. That happened on the court many times. It's like a sneak attack. Well, I'm going to get at you. I'm going to try to get my gun. Or I'm going to just raise my fist at you. And sometimes, if you're trying to shoot somebody, somebody will pull out their gun and shoot you. Or if you're trying to knock out somebody with your fist, you would get knocked out. That means the people that get knocked out and shot, they weren't able to shoot or knock out anybody though they tried because somebody's instincts, however they define it, it was like, oh, you trying to be big and bad? I'm going to be big and bad on you before you can be big and bad on other people. That happened. That happened many times. Basketball, courts course, were dangerous back in the day. Some are still now not as dangerous because... Now there's more of a sensitivity to drug laws and, you know, drug rings um, that are part of organized crime. And so I tell these stories not to embarrass my family, not to put anybody's business out there nefariously. But I tell these stories because stories like these should not be kept a secret. Stories like these, many people need to hear it. Cause the more people hear about it, the more they're willing to solve the problem by bringing wholesome attention to these problems. The drug, like plant, sometimes. And I remember the neighborhood with my uncle. They appreciated what he did with against Wayne Perry. So I know a lot of people would be mad. I don't know how... A, a, <laughs> I don't know how a lot of people would feel about it, you know. But, you know, the names Tony Lewis and Tony Lewis Jr., Tony Lewis Sr., they ring bells in certain parts of D.C., especially, you know, like Hanover, Orleans. But I say these names out loud because people need to know that we there's still healing work that needs to be done. There is still... Um, restoration work that needs to be done. There's still um, progress that needs to be made. So I share all these things from a standpoint of empathy and compassion. And from what I hear, Wayne Perry's cleaning up his life in jail. Um, From what I hear, he's, he's a Muslim and he's trying to discourage you from what he did. So I'm not saying what I'm saying to attack any current criminal or former criminal that I named. I'm saying, hey, I'm honoring their humanity, even though they have a history of dishonoring their own humanity and dishonoring the humanity of others. Right? And so I'm doing this and I'm honor... Most importantly, I'm honoring the humanity... Of the victims and the survivors of them, and honoring the humanity of the bystanders of them, and I'm honoring the humanity of those in their lives who had some to do with it, had not some to do with it. Honoring humanity means, if we acknowledge that people are human beings, that could help convince them to turn from their wicked ways and turn to upright ways. You know. And so I had to share these stories because a lot of times in the basketball court, it was dangerous for good people to play against drug dealers and crews because violence and murder could happen if you hit a jump shot in a drug dealer's face or if you dumped on a drug lord. Not all drug lords are well known well-known and drug deal, drug or, wow, you can be poorly, I call it poorly known. Some people think you well-known, but that's because they're ignorant. They're either ignorant or mentally ill or just plain sick to go, yeah, you're well-known. No, 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 no. You shouldn't be well-known for doing evil, okay? You're evilly known. Organized crime is a warped sense of well-known, but it's just like, And people don't really want to know you. They don't even like knowing of you. Rightfully so on both. But in that world of crime, it's just really, really dangerous. That's why a lot of times when people play basketball, they would lose on purpose. Because they didn't want to get hurt. Like if the drug dealer, drug crews won the game and you chose not to play on that particular court or play at all, At least you made it home. At least they weren't going to do nothing to you because, yeah, I cook so-and-so. Okay, you can brag about it, but they would still leave you alone after that. They're like, hey, I'm not going to do nothing to these dudes. I already crushed them on the basketball court with my moves. I'm good. But if you were to play excellent basketball or excellent football or even track, if you outdick them on anything, you're afraid of breathing again. You're afraid that... Uh, what I mean to say is you were afraid of not being able to breathe again. It's that dangerous. So I shared these stories like, no, it's nothing to play with, man. And um, all this shit is serious. And so when I think about how... I share these stories to even honor the humanity of my family. Because I heard these stories, and I'm like, you know what? I got to do something constructive with these stories. I want to put it in the podcast. Because I'm like, a lot of the secrets I've been told, most of them are trauma secrets. Trauma secrets are never worth keeping in my mind. Nah, man. This is about human rights violations, human rights abuses. Nah, this is going to go public. Because I know this is happening to other people in other communities. So okay i got all the stories out now i'm a now i'm gonna get to religion then I'll get to sex okay so when it comes to you know when it comes to religion um this is the part where i'm definitely gonna So, bear with me. Okay. I'm ready. So, I would say, um... Despite what happened in organized crime, five-year-old and this is my mindset at five years old. So please hear me. Despite what happened to me, organized crime, I always defeated Satan. I always defeated the adversary, uh, Beelzebub, the fallen angel, the sin inventor, the error inventor, the mischief maker. Um, the fiend. I'm not talking about customers. I'm talking about the the evil, the fiend of evil, meaning the devil, uh, the hellbound the hellhounder, Satan, uh, the Mammon, Satan, the Molech Satan, Lucifer, meaning Satan, Hades, of Satan, uh, mess of, uh, the Prince of Darkness, the Lord of the Flies, the evil one, the tempter, the diabolical force in force. The Diabolical Force Enforcer and the Mesphistophilus. All of those names of the devil. I was always defeating the devil even when I was five years old. And um, there's more for me to even share. So, here's how, at five years old, I was always upholding Christianity, a religion based upon the divinity of Christ, teachings of Christ, the gospel, the faith, faith, religion, the body Christian people, Christendom, Christians, followers of Christ, the church attitudes associated with Christianity, the Holy Ones, Christian spirits, forgiving, disposition, mercy, kindness, tolerance. Five-year-old Antonio was honoring all those things about Christianity and Christianity itself. And, um... That's how I was, in my mind, at five, I was able to overcome all the traumas of my life. And then, um... There's definitely more. At five years old, I was clinging to the Bible, which is called by believers, the good book, God's word, the word, scripture, the scriptures, the canon, the testaments, the sacred history, the holy writ, W-R-I-T, the holy Bible, the word of God, testament, the Old Testament, New Testament. And, um... There's more for me to share, okay? I'll share this one last thing about me when I was uh, five, so... Thank y'all. Thank you for your patience. I know that's a lot, but I got to get this out for my healing. Um, Yeah, as a child... I saw myself as angelic, saintly, good, humble, heavenly, spiritual, kind, radiant, beautiful, divine, holy, pure, lovely, devout, virtuous, above reproach, righteous, cherubic, and trying my best to live a life of of sinlessness uh, uh, and trying to my best to live a life of sinlessness and trying my best to keep away from sinfulness. Trying my best with God's help. So, that's how I saw myself at five years old. And again, um, I want to say this. Um, I am a no-religion type of person, meaning that I'm not legalistic. I don't live a life of lawlessness. And I don't live a life of um I don't live a life of tribalistic Pharisaic dogmatism is what I'm saying. That's what I'm getting at. So, um I think it's very important that um, people know my heart. That... uh, I just choose not to... um, have one way... Of being a beautiful... Human being. So what does that mean... For me? Um, I go by the statement, no religion is higher than humanity. And, um, I go by the statement, God has no religion. I think, therefore, I need no religion. I say that for myself. There's no religion higher than truth. Um, no color, no religion, no nationality should come between us. We're all children of God. I like that there are believers who feel that way. Um,. I also say that I'm human when people ask what my religion is. No caste, no religion, only humanity. Um, And there's more. More So, sometimes I feel this way. I believe man does not require... Wait a minute, let me reset this. Sometimes I feel this way. This is the best way to put it. God did... Sometimes I feel that God did not create people in their own image. People create God in their own flawed image. Image. Sometimes I feel that scripture is man-made and false, and it looks like religion is incompatible with science. Sometimes I feel those feelings. Like I said, trauma for me is complicated. Yet people who've never been traumatized who feel these feelings. So I don't want to make it seem like you know a lack of religion is all because of trauma. No, for me. It's uh trauma and um s- discrepancies between religion and science. Um It does not take more faith to be an atheist. It is untrue that atheists believe in nothing. That's very true. The atheists who believe in uh kind you know goodness and gentleness. Religion divides more than unites, and humans, I feel for me, shouldn't God require itself to be moral instead of people requiring God to be moral? I feel these things a lot of times. And it says, one person said, I'm not against religion in the sense that I feel I can't tolerate it, but I think written into the rubric of religion is a certainty of its own truth. Since there are 6,000 religions currently on the face of the earth, they can't all be right, and only the secular spirit can guarantee those freedoms, and it's the secular spirit that they contest. And whoever said that, their name is Ian McGowan. And sometimes I feel like um this. You know. Richard Dawkins said he's against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied in understanding the world. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes I do feel that way. I don't deny that religion is very helpful to a lot of people I, I I'll add in there in their minds and as long as they don't try to convert me, I have you know nothing and to interfere with the rights of people to believe other religions or to not believe any religion at all as long as they mind their own religion perfectly all right with me, Susan Jacoby. sometimes I feel that way too. And Angelina Jolie, sometimes I feel this way. I respect all religions. What I don't respect is when people use religion to attack others. I met people across the world in the middle of nowhere who are just trying to survive. and All they have is religion in some way. In some way, it helps them and I wouldn't take it away from them. There are also people who use it to hate and kill. I don't consider them religious people. Mmm. Mmm. I love what John Shelby Spong said. True religion is not about possessing the truth. No religion does that. It is rather an invitation to a journey that leads one toward the mystery of God. Idolatry is religion pretending that it has all the answers. I like what someone named Cain said. You don't need religion to have morals. If you can't decide right from wrong, then you lack empathy, not religion. Juliana Hatfield said, as long as there are religions, there are going to be people who are hiding their rottenness behind the veil of religion. David Bowie said religion is for people who fear hell. Spirituality is for people who have been there. Woo. Arthur C. Clarke, religion is a byproduct of fear. For much of human history, it may have been a necessary evil. Why was it more evil than necessary? Isn't killing people in the name of God a pretty good definition of insanity? A necessary evil? I just hate the concept. Whew. Interest. Wow. Wow. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness um sometimes sometimes i feel this way with bertrand russell said he said religion is based mainly upon fear fear of the mysterious fear of defeat fear of death Fear is the parent of cruelty, and therefore it is no wonder if cruelty and religion have gone hand in hand. My own view on religion is that of of Lucretius. I regard it as a disease born of fear and as a source of untold mysteries in the human race. Sometimes I feel those feelings. Sometimes I feel this feeling, George Amos Dorsey. Uh, religion is a disease that is born of fear. It compensates through hate in the guise of authority, revelation. Religion enthroned in a powerful social organization can become incredibly sadistic. No religion has been more cruel than the Christian. Whew. Um... There's more, then I'll get to the sex, okay? In every religion, there is love, yet love has no religion. That's what Rumi said. And Rumi says, I belong to no religion. My religion is love. Every heart is my temple not christian or jew or muslim not hindu buddhist sufi or zen not any religion or cultural system i am not from the east or the west not out of the ocean or up from the ground not natural or ethereal not composed of elements at all i do not exist i'm not an entity in this world or the next did not descend from adam and eve or any origin story my place is placeless a trace of the traceless neither body or soul i belong to the love i belong to the beloved have seen the two worlds as one and that. Won- one call to and no first last outer inner only that breathe only that breath breathing human being. I feel those feelings sometimes that Rumi said. Love is the sheer abundance of good fortunes. Love is the total openness of the heart. Love is the mirror of divine beauty. Love is the eternal divine blessings. Love is the righteous divine guidance. Love is the religion. Love is the holy book. Love is the path and direction. Love is the master. Love is the one who masters all things. Love is our mother. We're all born of love. Love is the religion and the universe is the book. Be certain that in the religion of love, there are no believers and unbelievers. Love embraces us all. All religions, all this all this singing one song, the differences are just illusion and vanity. Sunlight looks a little different on this wall than it does on that wall and a lot different on this other one. But it is still one light, Rumi says. Anyone in love will have no religion. Woo! We move in eternal regions, yet worry about pros- property here. This is the prayer of each. You are the source of my life. You separate essence from mud. You honor my soul. You bring rivers from the mountain springs. You brighten my eyes. The wine you offer takes me out of myself into the self we share. Doing that is religion. Woo! Sometimes I feel that I just love Rumi's quotes. And then my the Dalai Lama. I just got a quote. Dalai Lama. Um The purpose of religion is to control yourself, not to criticize others. How much am I doing about my anger, attachment, hatred, pride, and jealousy? These are the things which we must check in our daily lives. The Dalai Lama said that I agree. The best religion is the one that gives you closest to God. It is the one that makes you a better person. Whatever makes you more compassionate, more sensible, more detached more loving more humanitarianism more responsible more ethical the religion that will do that for you is the best religion i'm not interested my friend about your religion or if you are religious or not what's really important to me is your behavior in front of your peers family work community and in front of the world remember the universe is the echo, is the echo of our actions and our thoughts sometimes i feel that way we can reject everything else, religion, ideology, all received wisdom, but we cannot escape the necessity of love and compassion. This then is my true religion, my simple faith, in this sense, there is no need for temples or churches, for mosques or synagogues, no need for complicated philosophy doc. no need for complicated philosophies, doctrines, or dogmas. Our own heart, our own mind is the temple. The doctrine is compassion. Love for others and respect for their rights and dignity, no matter who or what they are. Ultimately, these are all what we need. Oh, I just love the Dalai Lama. All religions share a common root, which is limitless compassion, emphasize human improvement, love, or respect for others, compassion for the suffering of others. And so far as love is essential to every religion, we could say that love is a universal religion. But the various techniques and methods for developing love differ widely between the traditions. I don't think there could ever be just one single philosophy or one single religion, since there are so many different types of people with a range of tendencies and inclinations. It is quite fitting that there are differences between religions. And the fact that there are so many different descriptions of the religious path shows how rich religion is. Wow, I can relate to that. Um. The whole purpose of religion is to, facil- is to facilitate love, compassion, patience, tolerance, humanity, humility, and forgiveness. Um. All major religious traditions carry basically the same message: there is love, compassion, forgiveness. The important thing is that the important thing is they should be part of our daily lives. Um. There's no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophies. My brain and my heart are my temples. My philosophy is kindness. Um, all the world's major religions, with emphasis on love, compassion, patience, tolerance, and forgiveness, can and do promote inner values. But the reality of the world today is the grounding ethics in religion is no longer adequate. This is why I'm increasingly convinced that the time has come to find a way of thinking about spirituality and ethics beyond religion altogether. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Religion, any religion, no matter what sort of wonderful religion, never is universal. So now education is universal. So we have to sort of find ways and means to the education system from kindergarten up to university level to make awareness of these good things, the values, inner values. Yes. I believe that the only true religion consists of having a good heart. Yes. We can live without religion and meditation, but we cannot survive without human affection. Yes the difference between ethics and religion is the difference between water and tea ethics without religious content is water a critical requirement for health and survival ethics grounded religion is tea a nutritious and aromatic blend of water tea leaves spice sugar and in tibet a pinch of salt but however the tea is prepared the primary ingredient is always water while we can live without tea we can't live without water likewise We are born free of religion, but we are not born free of the need for compassion. Woo! Woo! I love these quotes. I really do. This fits exactly how I think. So last quote, you know, I'm going to do the sex. I'm going to finish the sex stuff tomorrow. OK, I'm going to do that off the top. I'm going to just do that. I'll, I'll do my very special episode on sex. OK, I'm gonna close with so this. The Dalai Lama said the purpose of all the major religious traditions is not to construct big temples on the outside, but to create temples of goodness and compassion inside of our hearts. And the Dalai Lama and Rumi are, all, are both speaking the motherfucking goddamn truth.